Hello, hello, hello. Uh, Fred here, back again uh, for a special edition, or should I say, uh, occasional new series we're doing here on Radio Drum Revival. This is called RDR From the Vault, um, digging into the back catalog. Uh, only so many episodes actually fit here on our iTunes feed, and we're digging through Radio Drum Revival's archive shows to pull out some gems to share with you. Uh, these would all be from back in my era of the show before I passed the uh, showmanship on to uh, the current host, David Reinstrom. Um, by the way, loving everything that David has been sharing with us, and of course, all the new artists uh, that are appearing and really showcasing how diverse and uh, vital Radio Drummer is today, which uh, is so fun, uh, given that we've been at this for a little while and really seeing a lot of really uh, profound changes in podcasting and and the sort of, uh, you know, all the new artists coming into audio drama. Super exciting. Um, and yeah, this show is just really just sort of an effort to uh, dig into the some of those early shows that uh, we think are still uh, quite worth listening to today. Of course, you can find all of them at RadioDrumRevival.com. Look for the Mondo Archives page. Uh, so yeah, this this particular inaugural episode um, highlighting the fact that uh, things have changed now. Um, the Mark Timon Ogle Awards uh, were once awarded at Convergence Con um, out in Minneapolis. Happened the Fourth of July weekend, so uh, that'll be happening here, 2016. Um, actually, that's now moved to the Here Now Festival, which just happened in the middle of June, and there were some uh, great winners uh, for that. Uh, my friends at the Pocket Universe Productions, uh, Mask of the Red Death, the production I actually worked on, won the Gold uh, Ogle Award this year for horror, and I know Jonathan Mitchell with the Truth won in Mark Time, and there are other winners posted at the Mark Time Awards uh, website. Um, I'm actually thinking today I wanted to find an Ogle Award uh, or Mark Time winner that was from a little further back in the past, and that brought me to episode 63 of Radio Room Revival back in 2008. Um, and this was a 2004 production, or actually probably 2003. Um, it's Willamette Radio Workshop in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Willamette Radio Workshop is just uh, one of those groups that did really quite wonderful work. And there's kind of uh, quite a scene happening out in Portland uh, between them and Dry Smoke and Whispers and the folks at Olean Productions and After Hell. All of that uh, were some of those shows that were some of the first audio dramas I ever learned about in this new era. Um, anyways, the show we're playing today is called Next Year's Girl. Uh, it was the winner of the 2004 Gold Ogle Award for Best Fantasy Audio Drama, sort of a mix of Beauty and the Beast and Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. It tells the story of a strange village where a girl is sacrificed each year to a monster. Yet this monster may be a bit more complex than what meets the eye. Uh, here we learn in Next Year's Girl, just after a word from our sponsors. The Willamette Radio Workshop presents Next Year's Girl by Heather Breeden In the autumn of my 18th year, I was sacrificed to the beast by the people of my village. It sounds dreadful, doesn't it? We'd always done it, you see. Each year, the black carriage came down from the castle and took a girl away, and the castle and the beast would leave us in peace for another year. It happened in my mother's time, and her mother's, and her mother's, and no one could remember how or why it started. We only knew we must continue. Even the girls knew. And while sometimes they went weeping, they always went willingly. That November day, however, black carriages were far from my mind as I wandered through the market 
arm in arm with my best girlfriend, Nadia. Bella, look at these apples. Red as rubies and big as a fist. How much? Half copper a bag. For that, they should be real rubies. Two bags for half a copper. Two bags, half a copper, and tell no one. I'm ashamed to call myself a merchant. Neither Nadia nor I had ever really worried about the black carriage. If we thought of it at all that day, for it was the time of year when it came, we thought it would likely come for the town manager's daughter. Katya was lovely as a summer meadow, charming as a kitten, and pious as a judge. More ideal sacrificial fodder could not be imagined. It looks like rain. Let's go mushrooming tomorrow. There should be plenty. All right. I'll meet you here at noon. I'll bring you a basket. Good night, Nadia. Good night, Bella. Oh, bother. As I ran through the darkening afternoon, I thought only of reaching home before my woolen cloak was so through. <laughs> Two great black horses churned the mud of our dooryard. The black carriage hitched behind them. A shadowy figure hunched beneath the tarp on the driver's bench, and my parents stood with gray faces and wet, hollow eyes. Here, take the apples, Mother. And don't cry. It will be all right. May I ride up front? Yeah, as you wish. Yep. They don't like being out tonight. They don't care much for me. Why? Are you cruel to them? Of course not. They're valuable. Not mine. I'm very careful with it. Then I suppose you'll be careful with me as well. As I would of gold and jewels, miss. How far is the castle? Nearly at the top. Tell me about the beast. What do you wish to know, miss? Everything. In the village, we knew nothing of the beast, save that he dwelt in the castle above and claimed a girl each year. Is he so terrible? I was young, you know. The young always have more curiosity than caution. I wanted to see this beast with my own eyes, since history proved it would not kill me. He's not terrible to look upon. Then he is terrible in other ways. What do the other girls say of him? Nothing. The blank eyes of the other girls troubled me. What could be so horrible that they could not let themselves remember? and yet gave me courage. For if it were so horrible, at least I would forget. And then, quite suddenly, was the castle, crouched at the end of the road like a lurking animal. The moon was two nights shy of full, and beneath its light the stone walls and towers looked white, like bones. Ho now, ho! Here, miss. Let me help you down. It's warmer inside. Come along. This is the great hall. The kitchens are that way, and your chamber is upstairs. The hall was vast and empty. The ceiling lost in shadows and cobwebs. A fire large enough to roast an ox hole blazed at the far end with an enormous black iron cauldron suspended in the flames. This way, miss. Please. Master? I faltered there at the last, I admit, on the threshold of the beast's very lair. Show her in, Abel. 
And then you may retire. Good evening, Miss. The beast sat in a great carved chair in a circle of light from a tall candle. His hair was very long and pale and silky as cream. His face was whiter still, white and smooth and handsome as a statue's. But his eyes, his eyes, red as apples in the market. They held my gaze fast. Be seated, if you please. I did so, and he studied me rather as a small boy observes a crawling beetle. My assurance dissolved beneath his crimson eyes. My safety had been only an illusion. Small boys, after all, tear beetles to pieces for no better reason than boredom. The beast might do anything, and I had come here of my own free will. Are you frightened, Bella? Yes. You know that you will leave here in seven days, do you not? You will be well cared for and completely unharmed, with the exception of the requirements of the arrangement, and then return to your family and home. What are the requirements of the arrangement? Will you tell me? And when I do, will you sob and beg? No, I do not think you will. Do the other girls? Some of them have, yes. Some have waited until later to plead, and some never did. But I have never been asked so plainly and calmly. Perhaps Abel has drugged me. <laughs> I think not. Although he did choose well this time. I rather liked his smile. Fascination had overwhelmed fear once again, and I was entranced by this strange creature who looked so much like a man, and yet was so clearly not. I cannot explain to you, Bella, and you would not understand if I did. But there are forces that I am in constant struggle with. I must keep my powers at full strength to combat them, and regrettably, that strength is fed by the blood of the innocent. Tonight, in the next two nights, and you will rest, rest, and forget. I am sorry I must do this, but there is no choice. The safety of your village depends on it. He took me then, with those black-gloved hands, and his teeth were at my throat. But he was gentle and kind, as though I were a delicate, fragile thing and not a healthy young woman brimming over with the red life he needed. Even as the blood flowed, there was no pain, no fear. Only his scarlet eyes and his cool, impossible kiss. I woke on a rather nice feather bed, fully clothed, the sun's rays high and bright through the leaded window. I had slept late and felt thick-headed and slow as I sat up and stretched. Mm, oh, my God. And then I remembered. My hand flew to my throat, felt the sore spots, two little marks no bigger than insect bites. I have to go. I have to go home. I can't stay here. Home, eh? Back to those who'd sent me here in the first place? 
home where they knew perfectly well there was something dark and corrupt in the castle, and yet they sent a daughter there each year. No, I could not go home. Nor did I blame them, I should add. They sent one child because they feared to lose them all. They were only doing what they thought best. Two more nights, two more nights with the beast. At the thought of him, not the terrible word vampire that kept creeping into my head, but the beast himself. I felt neither fear nor disgust, but a fluttering thrill. He had charmed me, as a snake charms a bird, but he had not devoured me. I, who had wanted to see for myself, had had the beast's fangs in my very throat. He had drunk of my blood and I still lived, and I felt as though I had discovered a dark, shining, immense secret. But there were many hours before nightfall, and perhaps I would be wise to pass some of them questioning Abel. Something the beast had said last night rang in my mind like an off-key note. What are you doing out here? Am I forbidden? No, I... Uh, I just... I'm sorry, miss. Uh, please pardon my discourtesy. If you will answer a question I have. Uh, I will if I can, miss. Was it the beast who chose me? Or was it you? Miss, uh, I, I'm sorry, I... Uh... It's always you, isn't it? Everyone thinks it must be him that you only describe us, but you're the one. Miss, please. How can you do it? Betray your own kind to that creature? I have no choice. You mean you feed him maidens to protect your own life? Coward. No, miss, please. I mean, I cannot do otherwise. The beast has me in his power. You, you must understand it is his will that controls mine. I must serve him as he wishes, bring him what he desires. I, I cannot refuse. Please, please, Miss Bella, please believe me. If I could take my own life to end this, I would. If I could take his, I would. But I can do neither. I'm his puppet. How horrible, I thought. At least I would be freed in a few more days. At least I knew that my time with the beast was spent in the service of my village and family to protect them. Abel had to live here forever. And with the knowledge of his own part in the beast's bloody perversions. Why me? Why not Katya? She's much prettier and more beloved. Wasn't I a petty little thing? I must choose a girl who has the courage to see it through. I've gotten very good at recognizing that courage. I, I've been waiting for you to be of age for several years now, Bella. Because I knew I finally found the girl strong enough to help me end this nightmare forever. You said you were in his power. That his will controls yours. I cannot move against him myself. God knows I've tried. I can't even think of raising a hand to him during the night. If I come near him while he sleeps, I, I fall asleep myself until he rises. Does he sleep now? Yes. Till the sun sets. I would not dare to speak so openly. Bella, I cannot do it, but you can. You can kill the beast and free your village from his extortion. Now? No. Tomorrow night is the time to strike. I will tell you all you must know tomorrow. Can you bear to have him drink from you again tonight? Yes. Could I bear it? I trembled at the thought, but not from dread. Bear it? I craved it. Then you will help me. You will kill the beast and free us both, free us all. I told him yes. 
God and Beast forgive me, I told him yes. I was thinking of next year's girl, and the one after her, and the one after her. And he was, after all, a beast. Was he not? He was a monster, not a man. Not our rightful lord or king. He, it, was a demon, a vampire. I was here on pains to keep my village safe from the beast. That was my task. How better could I do that than by destroying him? And in the red pools of his eyes that night, I sought accusation and found only kindness, even gratitude. I, I wished his hands would be hard and grasping, that he would bruise me, his teeth rend my flesh, that he would act like the monster he was. But he was as tender as before. I could not hate him, could not fear him. I wanted to stay wrapped in his arms forever, my blood flowing into him and him loving me for it. He needed me, as I had never been needed by anyone and never would be again. And then, he carried me like a child to my room, tucked me into bed, but I would not let him go. More, come back. I must not take more from you, child. Not with another night still to come. Please. He pressed a cool, benevolent kiss to my forehead and slipped away into the shadows. I slept only an hour or two before my eyes flew open. The moon blazed through the window, only a fingernail's crescent from fall, and there was madness in her glow. I could smell it like smoke. I must be mad to have come here, to have stayed here, to feel this way. The woman in the moon only mocked me, and her rays worked their lunatic will. I slipped from my clothes and stood naked in the window, stone and flesh in moonlight. Oh, child, you are too beautiful for me to bear. As though I had summoned him, and hadn't I? I turned to him, and he came to me, and I fell into his embrace. Bella. In that moment, I loved him. And yet tomorrow night, I meant to kill him. Who was the monster? It was only the moon that dazzled my eyes and made them sting and tear. Only the moon. And in the morning, I told myself nothing had changed. Hold to the course you have chosen and do not question. Do not think of the slow, deep kindness you felt in his undead heart. Do not think of your own heart throbbing with sympathy for his terrible loneliness. Do not think of his eternal eyes. I dressed and went searching for Abel. He was easy enough to find. Horses only sounded like that when he was near. Is it terrible? Not so bad. It is brief and I sleep just after. It was the last time for you or anyone. Listen closely. Bella, there is only one way to kill the beast. There is a weapon here, hidden in the hayloft. You must retrieve it. I can touch no weapons. I climbed the ladder to the hayloft and followed Abel's directions, digging beneath great stacks of hay. At last, I uncovered a small, very heavy, leather-wrapped parcel. Is this it? Yes. Down on the stable floor, I unwrapped the package. 
The leather was lined with very thin pieces of heavy dull gray metal. Then there were several layers of linen. Nestled in the old brittle fabric was a small and gleaming dagger, its hilt and blade both wrought of silver. Silver is deadly to the beast. One thrust into his heart, and he will fall, and we will be free. The pretty shiny thing, small as a toy, was suddenly ugly in my eyes. The wrapping is lined in lead. You must keep it closed inside the castle, or he will sense it. I held the dagger in my hand and hated it. I tried to imagine plunging it into the beast, and I knew I could not. It felt like an instrument of murder, not justice. Think of next year, Bella. Think of the next girl I will have to bring here. You will know her. The village is small. Rosemary, maybe, or Eliza. She will bleed, and you will be safe in your bed. Will she be as brave as you, or, or will she tremble and cry? Maybe you'll hear her screams if the wind is right. Stop it! Who will be strong enough to do it if you cannot? He had me. I could not turn away now. I was this year's girl. It was my duty. The thought of the black carriage in Rosemary's yard, or Eliza's, or Nadia's. No. All right. All right, I'll do it. When? Before he drinks. Before he enchants you. <laughs> he enchanted me at that moment from wherever he slept. He did not need to have my blood in his mouth for that. Thank you, Bella. I have waited so long for a girl as brave and selfless as you. Ultimately, it was the thought of next year's girl, of course, that steeled my resolve. I went to the beast's lair that night with a silver dagger hidden in the folds of my skirt and a stone heart in my chest. Come in, Bella. He smiled at me, and I smiled back, my heart cracking. My resolve melting once again. I did not hate him. He inspired not fear and revulsion, but awe and wonder, even sorrow, for he was so alone. And how much worse loneliness must be if it's eternal. Not even the comfort of death to look forward to. Perhaps then I might be doing him a kindness after all. Perhaps he had been waiting all these years just as Abel had, for the maiden brave and merciful enough to put him out of his endless misery. I will not see you after tonight, Bella. You must begin to forget before you return home. I will never forget you. You will. I will see to it. It is best. But not just yet. We have one more dance together. Come here, child. All thoughts of murder, merciful or otherwise, fled my mind when he reached for me. Never mind, I thought. I take it all back. I could harm such an extraordinary being no more than I could rip the wings from an angel's shoulders. Oh, I can't. Bella, have I hurt you? No, not you. Never you. I rested my head against him. It was suddenly so heavy. Why was this my decision to make? What in my sheltered few years of life qualified me? I wanted only to do the right thing, and was less sure than ever of what that was, or for what reason. What troubles you, Bella? Something is wrong. 
could not speak. I could not move. The beast gathered me up in his arms. He dropped me instantly, a look of horror on his white face. The merest brush of silver through the fabric of my skirts, and he reeled, stunned, the coals of his eyes bursting aflame. And I panicked. It no longer mattered if I had meant to begin. It had begun without me. I tore the dagger free. Bella, no, wait! And I stabbed him in the heart. I dropped to my knees beside him, horrified, and plucked the dagger out. Too late. It was a mortal wound and had made him mortal as well. Already his eyes were dim as embers. The embers went out. The beast was dead. I had killed him. No, no, no. I could feel it in my bones. This was wrong. It was wretched and cruel, and I could not imagine how I had gotten here. With the beast lying dead at my feet, his blood on my gown, on my hands... The evil spell had not lifted, and the night still held horrors. Abel? The great hall was deserted. The full moon blinded me as I stepped from the castle. Abel? Are you out here? Right? It's finished. It's done. No. He stepped from the shadows and stood before me, and he was different. Abel? Bella. Thank you, girl. You have done well. I sat down on the cold stone steps and watched as Abel became something else. Something ancient and dreadful beneath the moon. You freed your precious village from the beast. Brave little maiden. (laughs) Succulent little morsel. (laughs) You tricked me so easily, Abel. You should be ashamed of yourself. Mm. I leave shame to you. You were so easy to fool because you were so sincere of heart. Learn cynicism, child. It is your only hope of survival. You've schooled me well. Don't fear. Did the beast keep us safe from you all those years? Of course, silly girl. He was so old and tired. He lived only to protect your little village. He had grown so fond of you pathetic people. He came towards me, his great paws silent on the stone. I wondered how I could understand the words from that slavering, fanged red mouth. Why didn't he just kill you? He could not. He could only keep me in thrall. His power is replenished by a few drops of sweet blood each year. But that was enough to keep me from my true form. Until you, Bella, you brave, good-hearted simpleton. He climbed the steps to me, 
All traces of humanity gone. He was shaggy and wild and reeking of rotten flesh. The ghosts of plump, screaming dinners. Are you afraid now, miss? Just do it if you mean to. <laughs> what a fine martyr you make, Bella. He lunged at me with those terrible jaws. The moon flashing on his white fangs, meaning to tear out my throat. Oh, no, you treacherous cow! He backed away down the steps bristling. And I realized I still held the silver dagger in my hand. Its blade dark with the poor beast's blood. This, I held it out towards him. He retreated still further down to the courtyard. Oh, I was really so stupid. I can touch no weapons, and I believed you. You were perfect, you little fool. And in the gratitude for your service, I'll let you live a few hours longer. I'll still have this when we meet again. But I'll be stronger then, well fed. And that little thorn won't even pierce my hide to the meat. You can't cower behind that trinket forever, Bella. You're mine, and I will taste your flesh. Silver be damned. I don't believe I coward. Oh, but you will. <laughs> Hide in the castle, why don't you? We'll make a game of it when I return. While you wait, you can amuse yourself by imagining the fates of your darling parents, your precious Nadia. Perhaps you'll remember fear before I come for you. Paper. Or the thing he had become, had always been beneath his skin, vanished down the rocky trail leading to my home. I thought I would just sit there on the steps of that empty castle until I froze or starved or turned to stone. It didn't seem fair. I had always been such a good girl. I had done as I was told. Go to the castle, and I went. Let me drink from you, and I did. Kill the beast, and I did. And now look. Everything was wrong and could not be put right. I turned the dagger over in my hand. I touched the beast's blood, still wet. I put my fingers to my lips, tasted the beast's blood. Oh. Something flowed into me. Strength, yes, but more than that. Feeling. My heart broke all over again. I trembled with fear, and at last my outrage kindled and caught fire. All right, then. There was no time to spare. Abel might even now be reaching the village. Standing in the baking heat before the fireplace, I kissed the dagger before I dropped it into the iron cauldron. Thank you. How little Abel must have thought of me to leave me there like that. It would be sweet to see the shock in his eyes when the heavy blade of the axe bit in and its fatal coating rushed through his blood. Molten silver had smoked when I dipped the axe head in, and the freshly honed edge flashed white in the moonlight. I rode to my destiny at a gallop, with sharp, gleaming death in my hand. I would protect my village. The head of the true beast would roll at my feet before the sun rose. Next year's girl starred Laura Faye Smith, Tim McKinney, Tony Lima, and Sam A. Mowry. Original music was composed by Mark Rose. This was the first script from Cynthia McGeehan's Writers on the Air workshop. Production was by Sam A. Mowry. Until next time, we at the Willamette Radio Workshop remain 
obediently yours. And that was next year's girl about the Willamette Radio Workshop at radiowork.com, radiowork.com for their site and plenty of other shows they've done as well. If you look in the Radio Drum Revival archives, we'll link to that in the show notes. And that is a wrap for our first episode of RDR from the Vault. Uh, we'll be back here sooner or later. Um, happy Fourth of July holiday, everybody, in the United States at least. And this is Fred reminding you to keep your mind and your ears open. Catch you next time. 